Happy Memorial Day. Thank you for being here. Uh, we weren't here last week. Some of you noticed. That was great. Uh, it's always nice that you noticed. Uh, I want to thank Robert for uh, preaching for me. Uh, Robert McKinney from uh, the church at Blue Ridge. He's a great young man, and we're happy to be a part of sponsoring their church. Uh, whenever we get to Memorial Day, I always think of the verse that Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And so today we're talking about how to serve one another. And one of the greatest things that we do in serving one another is if we would lay down our life for a friend. So I'm going to show you, this is my yearbook picture uh, right here. Joe Vest, that's me, uh, that's me. Mama, do you remember this? Look at the hair. Uh, the hair's something. The middle part, that was in, I was styling. Okay, now when I was in high school, they, they, I remember two things distinctly, two things. Um, I, don't, I don't remember anything about grades because I've chosen to forget that. But I do, I do remember some things about high school. There was, the Air Force had a slogan, a, a recruiting slogan, and the slogan was, aim high. That was all, I mean, that was it. Two words, aim high. I loved that slogan because who doesn't want to aim high? You know, you get excited about the whole notion of aiming high and there are airplanes and it's kind of cool and I remember... Uh, thinking about aiming high, you know, because that's what you want. And I thought about, hey, man, I should be in the Air Force. And then I, th I thought about getting shot at, and then I didn't want to be in the Air Force. And so I changed my mind. That's why I really respect people that, that served in that way. So I remember aim high. That was, that was kind of the slogan that was out there. And, and really, most of us feel this because we're frustrated when we see people who aim low, who are just satisfied with low. And how many of you have seen somebody that's just sort of laying out of life, they're not really doing anything, and you say to yourself, how can you be satisfied with just laying low? I mean, don't you want to aim high? And so it kind of speaks to, to us. The other thing I remember about my senior year of high school is there's a guy named Bob Dylan. That's not a before and after picture, so just so you know, that's not me. <laughs> Bob Dylan. And Dylan had a song, and we're going to play a little bit for you right now. He had a song out in my senior year. Construction worker, working on a home. Might be living in a mansion. You might live in a dome. You may own guns, and you may even own tanks. You may be somebody's landlord. You may even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. That's all I can say. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Now, back in the day, um, Cliff, were you a Dylan fan? Did you remember that? Uh, what, was the, what was the album? That's right. Yeah, he's so good. All right, that's right. Slow train running. Um, was there anything else on there that was any good? Yeah, he was a Christian at that, that one day. Uh, Dylan was a Christian. What do you Yeah, yeah. It was great. I think he's uh, morphed into something else since then, but... Now think about this, two, kind of two messages, aim high, you've got to serve somebody. And those kind of, they often don't seem to sync together. Yet Jesus says they do sync together. And, and he said this, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants to aim high, must be a servant of others. If you want to aim high, you serve others. This was interesting to me. And so today we're going to talk about if you want to be great, and you think about this, great teachers serve their students. Great salespeople 
serve. And, and you know when you get a salesperson who cares about what you want. And you know when you get a salesperson that cares about what they want. You know it. I mean, you can sense it. And, and it doesn't matter what they say. You just know. And so you can go to salespeople. And sometimes salespeople really want to help you get what's good for you. And sometimes you know that because they'll say, you know, really, you don't want to buy this expensive one. You want to buy, and that's really not good, that's not good salesmanship. You know, you're supposed to upsell people. But you know a good salesman because they want to serve the people, their, their customers. They want to serve the customers. Great leaders serve their followers. Great politicians, it's an oxymoron. But, but you, you get the idea. There's this notion around, you know, great, if you want to be great, you learn to serve. And I think the two words that sort of describe the Christian life, when Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life for many. I mean, the whole, the whole notion around following Jesus is when we learn to serve. Now, I don't have a slide for this because I thought about it on the way in today uh, to, to church when I was kind of praying as I drove through. But in Ephesians 3, it talks about this. Um, Paul is the guy who wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. It's the church that he had started and he wrote back to them after he left, and so he's giving them some instruction. And he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell, he's praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And how do you know if Christ is dwelling in your heart? Because really the Christian life is about, I want to do what Christ wants me to do. It's not about, hey, I'm going to say a prayer one time in my life and then never think about Jesus ever again. The Christian life is, I'm going to try to live out what Christ wants me to do. How do you know if you're dwelling in Christ? Well, I, you know, are you driving in the left lane and not passing anybody? Then you're not dwelling in Christ. I mean, really, you, if you're in the left lane, you pass, get back over. That's dwelling in Christ. Are you using your blinkers? Uh, then you're not in Christ. I mean, you know, you got to be using your blinker. There's, there's some, I'm just teasing, but there's stuff. When you're serving the way God created you to serve, you can, you can sense that, that you are dwelling in Christ. You're doing the thing that he's caused you to do. And unless I serve others, I really, I'm not, I'm not where Christ wants me to be. An indicator is that we're serving others. It's, it becomes our number one priority. How can I use what God has given me to serve other people? So today we're going to talk about this whole notion around serving and aiming high and, and what it means for us. And so let me give you five reasons to serve God and others. Number one, we were created to serve. You're made to serve. Look at what it says here um, in Ephesians. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created dogs to do doggy things. Dogs fetch, they roll over, they poop in your yard. I mean, that's what they do. They bark at all hours of the night. This is what they do. They keep you awake. That's do dogs do doggy things. And trees do tree-y things. They, they provide shade, and they sway wonderfully in the breeze, and they house birds and squirrels, and they create pollen. Uh, you know, trees do tree-y things. That's what they do. And cows do cow-y things. Cows moo, and cows give milk, and cows um, 
they resource our burger and steak, uh, you know, uh, purposes. They do things the way they do it. So God has created people to do certain things. And in this verse, it tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Do you all remember what a flashlight is? I know, I know you have flashlights on your phone. Remember the flashlight you used to hold? Remember those? They had a, like a bulb. Um, the, the cavemen used them, remember? Flashlights. And you had to unscrew the top. It was so antiquated. And you had to drop batteries in there. Anybody remember those? You show a hand. Okay, great, great. Two of you. Great, super. Here's the thing about a flashlight, the old school flashlight, not the one on your phone. If you had a flashlight, where would you put your flashlight, everybody? By the bed in a drawer. That's right. That's where everybody had their flashlight. I can go, if I was a thief and I wanted to steal flashlights, I'd, go, I'd look in drawers because that's where they are. Um, and you would lay it there. Now, how often do you actually need a flashlight? Once in a blue moon. I mean, really, you don't really need a flashlight very often. The lights go out in the dark. You, uh, you know, the electricity goes off. You might need a flashlight. You have to crawl under the house, <laughs> which is from not God. And you have to go under the house. Uh, you take a flashlight and you know, like a hazmat suit. Because who wants that? I mean, have you been under your house? It's just horrible. But you take a flashlight. Now, I don't know about you, but this is my experience with flashlights back in the day when you had, they had batteries. Anytime I would need a flashlight and I did the little switch to turn it on, it did not work. Did you all, do you all have that experience? Because you unscrew the little thingy and you open it up and there's corrosion. Remember those batteries that would corrode together and they get green, kind of bluey green? The reason the batteries corroded is because they weren't being used. And our soul gets corroded when we don't serve. When we kind of sit in a drawer someplace and we kind of we lay out a life, we... We have opportunities. We have opportunities. God gives us opportunities. You have to notice them. When we have opportunities and we don't, we don't act upon what God has called us to do at that point, then we get corroded. Our soul gets corroded just like a flashlight. Now look at what it says in Proverbs here. All right, I got my cough button. Ah, okay. I learned that this morning. I've got a cough button. Uh, and I used it. I used it wonderfully today. All right, I'm good. I'm good with me. Um, the desires of lazy people will be their ruin, for their hands refuse to work. For uh, they are always greedy for more, while the godly love to give. Now, you see, the writer of the Proverbs here is saying, there's, there, there are godly people, and they work, and they give. And there are ungodly people, and they don't work, and they're, they're stingy. They, they, they're greedy for more. And he sort of sex, sets this, these these two polar opposites. You, you, you work and you give or you don't work and these are godly people and these are ungodly people and godly people are people who are givers. So if you want to know if you're dwelling in Christ, how much are you serving? How, how often are you serving? Are you finding ways to use the gifts that God's given you? Let me show you a picture. This is a bar-tailed godwit. I knew you all knew that, but I, I was going to tell you. It grows up, it's born in northern Alaska. And um, it's where it lives. And, and every year, some of these birds, born in northern Alaska, travel, they're, they're wired, somehow God wires them. They travel 
to New Zealand, 7,000 miles away. They, they're not water birds. In fact, they don't fish. They can't land on the water. So they make a 7,000-mile trip. I have a picture. They, they make a 7,000-mile trip across the equator in the air in, let me see how many days, uh, eight days. They fly 7,000 miles in eight days. Then they have to find their way back. Now, what's really interesting about this, and, and the scientists don't know how they do it. I mean, we know because God wired them that way. But what's really interesting is they make this trip. Some of these birds, the new birds, have never been south of the equator. Now, I'm, not, I'm navigationally challenged. I don't know about these things. But evidently, the stars you see in the southern hemisphere are different than the stars you see in the north. Is that right? Let's go with that. Okay, that sounds really smart. Uh, I, I think you navigate differently. Things are different. And nobody knows exactly how these birds do this. The point is this. The bar-tailed Godwin, or Godwill, or whatever, Godwit, the bar-tailed Godwit is wired to make this trip by God. When our text says God created, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The way you know if you're dwelling in Christ is are you doing good works? It's not to win God's favor. I mean, there's this, there's this whole challenge. I mean, we mess stuff up so bad because we think, okay, I've got to win God's approval. I've got to win God's approval. God's angry with me. God doesn't love me. So I've got to win his favor. And so we do stuff to try to win God's favor. That's not what we're talking about here. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is what we're built for. This is what we're wired for. God created us to be this. The second thing you need to know is you're saved to serve. This is why we're saved. It is God who saved us and chose us for, what's the word there? His what kind of work? Holy work. What in the world is holy work? Obviously preaching, uh, but what else? Well, anything can be holy work. If, if God has called you to do this, that's holy work. And so whatever you do, um, people who are, are, are cooks, have, do you all like to eat? Then a cook, is, that's holy work. I mean, that is really holy work. When I'm hungry, that's really, really holy work. And people who wash your car and people who mow yards and people, whatever God has wired you to do, accountants and bankers and, and so many times we think holy work has got to, I got to, you got to be a preacher or I've got to be a worship leader or I've got to be on staff at a church. It, nothing could be further from the truth. God has called us to holy work and it could be just about anything, frankly. It's, it's what God has called you to do. And so here's the point. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, write, writes this. Live such good lives that they, the unbelievers see your good thing, the good things you do, your good works, and will give glory to God. We do these things not for people to say, wow, look at that guy. But, but we live, we dwell in Christ, and we serve others so that people can see our good works and glorify us. No, they can glorify God. Our Father. This could, be, this could be listening to a friend who is in a struggle. Too many times we think we have to have answers. Sometimes we just need to know that, that we could just listen. 
Listening is holy work. And if you have something to say that might be helpful, that's holy work. And, and if you can call somebody that's struggling, that's holy work. And if you can be a friend to somebody, that's holy work. And if you can invite uh, the waitress where you work, and you can be kind to her. Man, one of the things that really upsets me about Christianity is... I was talking to some, some, um, some servers the other day, and they, they were telling me, and this is true still, that they don't like to work on Sundays because church people come in and church people are rude, and they don't tip very well. Uh, that is the opposite of this verse. What, why are we like that? Well, why would we be rude to people, ever? And, and why would we not tip people well? I mean, good grief. Have you ever had a server that didn't serve you well? Yeah, me too. I've, I've had that. I still tip them. Because I think to myself, what if that was my daughter? I've got four daughters. If they were servers, I'd want, I'd want whoever is talking to them to treat them with respect. In fact, here's the deal. Here's what I know. Let's say, uh, Elise, you want to be a server someday? Let's say, y'all say yes. Yeah, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. This is Elise. She's my daughter. She's 11. Yay, look at her. Oh, she's so sweet. Okay. All right, so this is your table. You're serving. You don't, you don't lean. Okay, all right, all right. Let's get. Now, I'm at this table, and I'm listening to these people talk to my daughter, Elise. All right? Now, Elise, you, what, what did servers say? What do you want to eat? Uh, can I take your drink order? Yeah. Right? Okay, so take a drink order. Now, if these people are rude to Elise, and I'm right here, it's not going to go well. This is not going to go well for this table. You remember Jesus turning over the tables in the temple? This is me turning over the table in the restaurant. So we treat people with respect because we want people to treat our people with respect. So when I'm dealing with a, a, a server, I think to myself, yeah, you can go. Thank you, sweet. Uh, I think to myself, um, I've got four daughters, that's the only non-graduate. Uh, so, uh, she's not even trying. Anyway, anyway. She's 11. <laughs> we, tr- we, we need to treat people with the respect that God gives them. I mean, have you ever heard somebody treat somebody poorly? It just, they deserve respect. And this verse is basically saying, look, treat people with respect. And here's something really important. God will never ask you to do something he doesn't equip you to do. So if God asks you to, to do this task, if he says, this is, if you feel in your spirit you're dwelling with Christ, and you feel like God's leading you to this, he won't ask you to do something you can't do. Um, it's... It, it, there are things I can't do. I could never be a doctor. I could never be a nurse. I, I, am, I have great respect for doctors and nurses. There's this little thing about blood that I really don't like, and that's the sight of it. I really don't like it. I, I, would be, I remember Miriam had to get her blood drawn when we got married. Uh, it was a rule in, in Oklahoma. And I was in there, you know, I was kind of hanging out. And Miriam has veins that wobble or something, I don't know, what, what's up with your, oh, she's not in here, uh, oh, well, let's talk about her, uh, she has wobbly veins, and they were having a hard time finding it, you know what, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, oh, yeah, so I'm over there, 
I'm trying to think how I could do this. I was over there kind of watching that. Have you ever seen anybody dig in somebody's arm? It's not pretty. And I remember the nurse looked at me and she said, you need to sit down as I'm sliding down the wall. So, God has not called me into that particular field because I couldn't do that. What God calls you to do, he equips you to do. Look, look at what it says here. God has given each of you some special ability. Be sure to use them to help each other. You, you've got something you can do and you should do it. Third thing. Serving indicates we belong to Christ. Look at what it says here in Romans. You are part of the body of Christ and you belong to him. In order that we might be useful in the service of God. You, you, you kind of you know. It's an indicator. We, we need indicators in our lives. We really do. Um, when, in the New Testament, when somebody would, would join the church, when they would join a fellowship... They, would have the, they had this little saying, and the saying was, um, Jesus now has two new pair of hands to serve others with, and Jesus now has two new set of eyes to see people with and to see needs with, and Jesus now has two new ears to hear the problems of the world with, and Jesus now has a new, another heart to care for people with. That was kind of the language that they used when somebody join the church. Here's a profound truth that you have to understand. When I serve others, I serve God. Jesus said it. He said, when you offer a cup of cold water in my name, it's like you do it for me. When you visit the jail, it's like you visit me. When you serve people, Jesus said, it's like you serve me. It's an indicator. When we serve others, it's an indicator. It shows What's on the inside? It's not selfishness. I, I'm trying to dwell with Christ and do what he asks me to do. I heard a story about a mother. She had nine kids, and she dressed them all alike. From the littlest to the oldest, she dressed them all alike. And they asked her why she did that. And she said, well, when, when there were four of them, I, I dressed them alike because we wanted to you know, kind of keep track. She said, when we, dress, when we have nine, we dress them alike so we don't take anybody home that's not ours. So uh, you, have to, you have to be careful, you know. But there's, there are indicators in life, and, and serving others is an indica indicator. Let's go back to this text. Live such good lives that they, the unbelievers will see the good things. And that word can be translated, the beautiful things. Because here's what's really uncommon, is that somebody is selfless and serving. Um, what's common is I'm selfish, and I use you to get something for me. And it's all about me, and, and it's going to go my way. And that, that's normal. What's uncommon is to be selfless and serving. What's common is to be selfish and serve me. And so it makes a difference, and people notice when you learn to serve, when you look for opportunities and you take those opportunities. First Peter, Peter also said, be devoted. Oh, this is an illustration of husbands and wives. Look at what it says. Be devoted to your husband. This is advice for a wife. Be devoted to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, your kind conduct may win them over without you saying a thing. There are ways in which we live. We, we can, our, our actions speak louder than words. We serve and it's appealing to people. And Christ understood this. Number four, serving also makes life meaningful. Jesus said, 
If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll find true life. You're going to invest your life in something. We, we all do. We're going to invest our life in something. Back in the day, if you stayed at a company long enough, and nobody does this anymore, but let's say you stayed at a company for 50 years, at the end of your retirement, at your retirement, they'd give you a gold watch. Can you imagine investing your whole life, 50 years of work at a service in a place and getting a gold watch? I mean, it's nice, but... Or people, some people are investing their whole lives in developing a big portfolio, so they have lots of money. And lots of money, they're just okay with lots of money. I mean, I'm not against lots of money. But in the end and of itself, you can't take that with you. So someday you have lots of money and you die, and that money goes to people who may not even appreciate the fact that you worked really hard to get that money. It, it's a waste of life. Some people spend their whole life trying to get status, or they try to have a thrill of some sort, or they try to get... A big house. Let me tell you my big house story because this is, this is fun. Uh, do you all know where Montevella is? Is that a place? Uh, there's a subdivision? Anybody? Monte what? Yeah, what he said. Uh, Montevella? Bella. Montevella. That's what, that's what I meant. Yeah. Bella, yeah. There's a big place out there. Uh, it's a subdivision with really big houses. It's all gated and everything. You know, and so um, if you live there, that's cool, by the way. It's all cool. <laughs> Um, if you live there, though, when we're done, I'm going to stand right here and come help me get back in there because I love to walk there. I can't get in there anymore because they closed the gates on me. Okay, I was walking in Montebello, Bello, and I was, you know, I'm taking a walk. I love to walk in there because there's good hills and it gets a good, it's a workout, it's a workout. So I'm walking by this one guy's house. It's, it's kind of large-ish. And um, instead of a gutter, he has a chain that runs from his gutter to the ground. So I ask him. I'm walking, he's working in the yard. I said, man, I don't want to bother you, but what is that chain for? Because that's, if I don't know, how do you know if you don't ask? He said, it's a rain chain, and when it rains, the rain follows the chain down into the, to the drain. It's like, that is amazing. So we get into a conversation. He said, do you know my house is for sale? Like, I, did, I didn't know that. There wasn't a for sale sign. My house is for sale. He said, yeah, would you like to look at it? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, right on. It's all good. He was so proud of his house because he had designed it. I mean, it was really cool. It had an elevator, you know, it had three floors and had a turret that's built out of rock. And he showed me all the, the railing uh, of the balconies. They were all different styles. One was the pot belly style and one was the something or other. I don't know. And he was showing me all this stuff. And, and I mean, it was really neat. And he had a, he had a library in his house. I thought that was just for the public, uh, and uh, it was super, he had a library with one of those ladders that rolls, I mean, how sweet is that in your house, and uh, he, he, he showed me around, you know, and it was cool, it had a great big kitchen, and the, the island was bigger than our house, uh, I mean, it was just really big, and then, <laughs> then he said, I said, what do you do for a living? Well, I, I'm, I'm a construction guy, or I used to design. I'm a designer, and I, I used to build houses on Myrtle Beach. And this guy's like, oh, that's neat. And then he says, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a preacher. <laughs> the first word out of his mouth, you're not going to buy my house, are you? Uh, <laughs> it was $1.89 so it's like, no, I'm pretty much not going to buy your house, bro. <laughs> point is, you're going to give your life for something. He, 
He was so proud of that house. And I mean, it was a great house. But if you work your entire life and all you've got is a big house, <laughs> nothing wrong with a big house. I don't, I don't know him, and I certainly don't know what kind of, how he serves, or if he serves. I don't know if he's a follower of Jesus, or I don't know any of that. The point is, if all you're working for is a big house, that's a waste of your life. It, it's, and, and people are trying to figure out how to live longer. You know, they're on these, you're on diets, and, and uh, some of you aren't, but uh, you're on diets, and, and you're doing stuff, and you're taking your pills, and you're doing all your things, and you're exercising, and all that, and that's great, it's all great, but it's not how long you live, it's how you live. I, I love the way Corey Tinboom put it. She said, the measure of a life, after all, is not the duration, it's the donation. What exactly are you doing with your life? I mean, God gives you these gifts and living for yourself at the end of life just is boring. I read a great book the other day by a guy named um, uh, Eric Metaxas. Uh, the title was Seven Men and the Secrets of Their Greatness. I like biographies, and it's kind of mini biographies. Every chapter was a biography. And what was striking to me is of, of the seven guys he chose to write about, three of them really didn't live very long. One of them was Eric Liddell, who the movie Chariots of Fire was about, and, and he became a missionary. He won the gold medal and, uh, in the Olympics and then went and became a missionary in China. He died at age 43, at 43, and yet he lived this huge life. He did these great things. He served God's purpose. Uh, he wrote about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany under Hitler. Uh, th this is an interesting cat, man. You need to read about him sometime, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer was this huge intellect, just, just brilliant, just brilliant. In fact, you can try to read his stuff, and it takes you a little bit because you have to just, you almost have to read a sentence and stop because it's just almost too dense. Um, he, he's just brilliant. And he, he was uh, against Hitler. He could see what Hitler was doing to people. Uh, he, he, he served. In fact, um, Bonhoeffer was part of an anti-Nazi uh, dissent and really was in on the plans to try to assassinate Hitler, which is crazy interesting to me because he was a pastor. And then uh, another guy he wrote about was Jackie Robinson, who you probably know broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And uh, by the way, Bonhoeffer died at 43, or at 39, and uh, Robinson died at 53. And these men were men of Christ. They didn't live long. It wasn't how long they lived. It wasn't the duration of their lives that mattered. Look at what it says here. Keep busy in your work for the Lord since you know that nothing you do in the Lord's service is ever without value. The things I do for the Lord have long-lasting value. And the things I do for myself don't. That's, that's the bottom line. One last one. We're held accountable to God for what we do with our lives. Look at what it says in Romans here. Each of you will have to give a personal account to God. And God someday will say, what did you do with what I gave you? I, I gave you talent, and I gave you ability, and I gave you experiences. I gave you all these things. What exactly have you done with that? And, and that's a question. If, if you're going to get asked that eventually anyway, it's probably a good time to start thinking about it now. I should probably mull this over a bit. Because here's, here's a promise that Jesus makes. 
My Father will honor anyone who serves me. And remember, remember, Jesus said, if you serve the least of these, if you do it unto the least of these, it's as if you're doing it unto me. So when we serve others, we serve God. So when he's saying, oh, I'm tearing this up today. Okay, um, my Father will honor anyone who serves me. He, he's... When we're dwelling with Christ and we listen to Christ and we serve the way God calls us to serve, there's a promise of reward. Now, not all promises of reward are created equal. Uh, let me tell you this story. Um, there's a guy and his wife, they lived together, and she had a cat and he hated the cat. I, I know nobody, nobody feels this way about cats, but uh, he hated the cat. He hated the cat hair. He was allergic to the cat. He didn't like the smell of the litter box, uh, the cat would scratch on the furniture, he'd be asleep and the cat would jump on the bed. He hated this cat. He just hated it. So his wife went away for a weekend and he eliminated the cat. I'm, uh, I'm not condoning, I'm just reporting. Uh, that's what happened. He made sure Fluffy wasn't coming home. His wife comes home, she can't find the cat, she is distraught. I mean, she's upset. And he said, honey, I love you, and therefore, we're going to put a reward for the cat. $1,000, anybody that brings the cat back. And two or three days, no cat, she's still upset. He said, listen, listen, listen. You mean more to me than the world. I'm going to up the ante $10,000 for anybody that brings that cat back. And his neighbor came over, and he said, dude, this is insane. No cats worth $10,000. And the guy said, well, when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. Uh, that's gold right there. That's gold. When it says here, my father will honor anyone, th this isn't a hollow promise. It, it has some meat behind it. it, it, it it's real and it's true. And... and in Psalms it says, teach me to serve. This was David who writes this. Teach me to serve you with complete devotion. And, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we there? Um, tomorrow would be my dad's birthday. It's my dad's birthday. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, I had the great fortune of working with him. and um, He taught me lots about life. And at one time we worked together. And one of the things my daddy taught me was, he would say to me, don't make me tell you what to do. Look for things that need to be done and do those. Don't make me tell you everything I need, that needs to be done. You take some responsibility and you find some things that need, need to be done and do those things. Don't make me tell you everything. And I think the Lord would say to us today, there's a world of opportunity out here. There's a world of opportunity in here. There's a world of opportunity to serve. It's everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere. Don't, don't make me tell you everything. Look for people, for opportunities. Serve a neighbor. Help somebody. Take over some cookies. I mean, do something. Find something to do. My dad was a truck driver. He would have loved this last story that I'm going to tell you. In 
Detroit in April, there was a man on a bridge overpass and he was threatening to jump. And so the police got truck drivers, 13 of them actually, to park. You're going to count. There's only 12 there, but there were 13. I read the story. Uh, he got, they got the trucks. All right, let's all count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 12. Oh, there are 13. Okay, great. Okay, okay, 13. The police secured trucks to park under the bridge so that if the man jumped, he wouldn't fall to his death. Now, think about that. Every one of these guys has some place to be. They're actually getting paid to take the freight in those trailers from one place to the next. But they saw a need, or they heard about a need, and they determined that somebody on that bridge, who they most likely had no idea who it was, and may never know who it was, somebody they have no idea about, no connection to, they determined it was worth their time, it was worth losing some pay, it was worth slowing down to park under a bridge until this person could be talked off the ledge. We talked about holy work. Parking a truck under a bridge can be holy work. What, what could be more holy than parking a truck under a bridge when somebody's threatening to jump? Remember, Jesus said, whoever wants to be great is a servant. Those, here's what's really cool about that picture. I'm going to guarantee you, 100% guarantee there's not one of those truck drivers that got up that morning who said, you know, I think I'm probably going to park under a bridge this week. Today I'm going to get in my truck and I'm going to be delivering freight and I'm going to park under a bridge. An opportunity presented itself and they took it. When we walk with Christ, when Christ dwells in us, opportunities will present themselves. And it's our obligation, we have free will, we don't have to do this, but we have free will. It's our obligation, or opportunity, let's, do, let's use that word. Our opportunity is to serve in whatever capacity Christ chooses. Opportunities are everywhere. Jesus said, you're never more like me than when we serve others. So, we aim high by being a servant to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to hear your word. I pray that you would um, fill us with your spirit. Help us to dwell with you. Help us to see the opportunities you give us and help us to take them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.